Welcome into Wednesdays with Walton on Scoops with DannyMac.com. We're presented by Mark Milton. He is a proud St. Louis U alum and slew in uh, competition tonight against Tennessee State. You can see that game on Bally Sports Midwest. And if you have tax issues, think about Mark Milton. STLTaxLawyer.com. STLTaxLawyer.com. Any kind of tax issues. He is the best in the Midwest. He is handling tax issues all across the country based right here in St. Louis. And remember, the choice of a lawyer should not be based solely on advertisements. And we're also brought to you by Stratum Structural Systems. If you have waterproofing issues, basement problems, cracks in your basement, you need egress windows, you call Stratum, Stratum Structural Systems. Tell them I sent you. They are the best in the business. They have a perfect five-star Google rating, just honored by the Better Business Bureau. Make sure you tell them that you're heard it here. Danny Mac sent you. They are the best in town. StratumRepair.com. Let's bring in Brian Walton on this Wednesday. A little chilly here in St. Louis, but the hot stove uh, should probably heat up next week as we have the uh, winter meetings next week. And Brian, uh, good morning to you. Thanks for joining me. How you doing? I'm doing great, Dan. How about you? I- I'm doing well. You know, let's. I, I want to hit you with the the rules here in just a moment. But what do you think the uh, the winter meetings will be like when you think about what's happening for the minor leagues? What what is that like for the minor leagues and the winter meetings next week? Well, it's interesting. You know, one of the things that that folks don't talk a lot about is there are a lot of minor league free agents, guys that have been in the game now for six or seven years, and you know they're looking for new homes. So sometimes you actually see players there. A lot of times, of course, agents are not only working on the top tier of free agents, but they're looking to try to find homes for guys, you know, who maybe want a, a minor league contract and hoping to get an invitation to big league spring camp. And, you know, you know, if you can get into big league camp, then, you know, anything can happen. So, you know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of players like that, you know, like a Corey Spangenberg last year who had a lot of major league experience and the Cardinals wanted some infield depth at Memphis and, and signed him to a contract and he was very useful in that role. So, you know, there's, there's lots of discussions that are going on, not just the top tier free agents, but of course we know that the, the big priority for the St. Louis Cardinals at this point is to find a starting catcher for next year. And, and uh, I think the preferred route for them would be a trade, but then of course the discussion gets into who do they have to give up? And the first two names that are going to come out of everybody's, I would think every potential trade partner is Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn, and those are guys that St. Louis just isn't going to want to give up. No doubt about that. Um, I really want to dive into, because I, I think it's just going to be the, the talk of spring training, and it hasn't gotten a ton of traction at least yet, but I, I think it's going to change probably starting next week and then going into spring training. But I want to talk a ton about uh, the changes we're going to see with the rules beginning next year. So the pitch timer, it was really interesting. Theo Epstein was at the GM meetings and he's been really, uh, you know, kind of hand in hand with the commissioner and others on the committee with these rules. And, you know, he's, he said, hey, I'm part of the blame of this. I was the guy that kind of, you know, was looking at developing a team that could, uh, you know, be competitive with the the rules at the way that they were. But he he addressed the GMs and the president of baseball operations. One of the things that he said was that roughly 25 minutes a game was shaved off in the minors on average, and it took minor leaguers about one to three weeks to adjust. It probably will take major leaguers, I would imagine, a little bit longer because you have veterans that it may take longer to adjust. But with the pitch timer, what was your impression in watching games and, and seeing guys try to get used to, to dealing with that and the improvement of the game because of the pitch timer? You know, I think 
maybe I didn't uh, see them at the initial stages where they were still adapting because by the time I got to see it, in both, both in minor league games but also in the Arizona Fall League, it seemed to be business as usual. They, they, you know, they put extra clocks around, you know, behind the behind the batter's box, and of course, you know, as well as on the, you know, on the scoreboard and on the outfield wall. So there's probably in any ballpark there's four or five different places where you can easily look at the timer, whether you're the pitcher or the batter. And what Major League Baseball is going to do is have a 30 second timer between batters, and then between pitches they'll have 15 seconds to throw the next pitch or 20. They give them five extra seconds if there's runners on base. And this, you know, becomes second nature. Sure, there are the guys like Gianni, Giovanni Gallegos and Dakota Hudson who take a long time between pitches who are going to have to step things up. But overall, you know, you lop 25, 26 minutes off the length of a game, that's pretty significant. And the key is you're not, gonna, you're not missing any action. You're just mission, missing standing around kicking the dirt or, you know, rubbing up the ball. And I, you know, I'm really for it. I don't think there's really any downside to this at all. And I think that after, again, after you know, folks get used to it, it's going to become second nature. I don't think this is a rule that there's going to be a lot of controversy and they're going to have to back it off. This is the number that, or at least the, uh, the statement that he made that really took me back in the major leagues on average, on average, you had to wait four minutes for a single ball in play. And that was due in part to dead time and swing and miss and whatnot. But that's an incredibly long time to wait for a ball in play, Brian. That, that, that really struck me. Well, yeah, and you know, Dan, it's not just for the fans. I mean, we, you know, we obviously we talk about it making the games no more doubt. watchable, no doubt. keeping fans. But it's, but it's also for the fielders. The fielders, you know, have to be ready for the pitch to be thrown. And you, know, you stand there several minutes between pitch, guys just aren't going to be on their toes. They're not going to be ready to play. And so, a, a faster pace of play is something that the position players love as well. And um, you know, another positive out of this is that stolen base attempts uh, increased. With, with this pitch clock, and the success rate of steals increased. Now, some of that's because of the, the bigger bags we'll talk about in a minute, but some of it is, you know, the pitchers don't have as much time to try to stare down the runner. Uh, they also can't throw over, you know, multiple uh, beyond beyond three times. So, you know, this, this also increases offense potentially in the game, which is something that baseball would like to do. So I want to get into that in a moment. I want to go back to the pitch clock, if we can. So did you find that pitchers seem to be – I don't know if out of breath is the right word, but, you know, less max effort, maybe less spin rate, less recovery time, and that led to more action in the game because the pitchers just weren't dominating maybe as much of the hitters because they couldn't recover as much. Again, again, another factor, but, I, you know, it's harder to tell that. I think, you know, the pitchers still can step off the mound or, you know, try pickoff attempts if they need to, but they can't do it beyond twice per batter. So, you know, it's not as if the pitchers have to, you know, don't have an opportunity to catch their breath if they need it, but it just is not an unlimited number of those types of opportunities. So let's go back to the pickoff. So last year in Major League Baseball, one and a third stolen base attempts total between both teams combined last year. That was it. So this is going to create more action. I would imagine singles mean something, not just a three-true uh, outcome. John Birdie had 41 steals last year to lead the league. That that should jump up. So a guy like Tommy Edmonds should jump up. Um, did you see, because of a lack of pickoffs in the bigger bags, that we're seeing more stolen bases and at least more attempts in the minor leagues? And do you think that'll correlate to what we see in the major leagues? I didn't look up the, the numbers, to you know the total numbers year to year, but I know that anecdotally, uh, Mike Antico, 
uh, stole 67 bases. Mason Wynn stole 43 uh, bases. Uh, Tommy Juice stole 31 bases. And these are totals that we haven't seen, you know, for a long, long time. And, you know, maybe it's the athletes that the Cardinals have in the system right now, but I think uh, these rule changes have definitely, um, you know, led to increased stolen bases. And I think, you know, that's an exciting part of the game. Let's face it. You know, the most exciting play, you know, one of the most exciting plays in baseball is a stolen base along with a triple. And, you know, this these rule changes are are you know, definitely helping that based on the numbers that we've seen. No doubt. Now, the biggest maybe part of what we're going to see is the lack of the shift. Uh, left-handed hitters will probably benefit the most. Um, we're going to see more athleticism probably on the infield, and that's pressure on defensive players, which is good. Players will dictate the game more and not the analytics of the front office and their algorithm maybe to position players defensively to dictate an outcome of, of what a, p- a pitcher and, and batter may do. So, Brian, maybe if you can explain what you saw with the lack of a shift and where guys are placed defensively and how that works and what fans can expect uh, and what you saw last year in the minor leagues with uh, the limitations with the shift. Well, I think everybody has seen, you know, because of the, the great TV angles that we have on the, on the major league games, you know, the extreme shifts are when three infielders are on one side of the diamond and typically the second baseman is more of a short right fielder. You know, they, they, they're so far, you know, off the, off the grass, they're almost in the outfield. And, you know, that's not going to be allowed anymore. Now the defensive team has to have uh, two players on each side of second base. Now that doesn't mean that, that the shortstop, for example, couldn't play just right on that line and you could still have sort of two and a half players on one side. It doesn't mean you can't have an infielder up the middle. It just means that they can't stack anymore. Uh, the other key is that the, you know, the, the, um, the four infielders all must be on the dirt. They can't be on the grass. And that is going to make a big difference, you know, for, for hits that are, you know, beyond the infield where in the past, you know, again, you've got a short fielder that they'll let, there'll be an easy catch. So I, I think it's, it's, it's definitely going to help the hitters. It's going to put more balls in play, but you know, the infielders are going to have a better chance to show their athleticism. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing either. Although, you know, this is a more controversial change, but I think again, it's one that folks are going to get used to, you know, when, uh, you know, when it gets into place. It, it was really interesting in doing some numbers shift league wide batting average on balls in play, uh, was 290, so that was lowest since 1992 in the majors last year. Left-handed batters, ball in play, 283, lowest since 1989. The ground ball was 219 by lefties, lowest in 20 years. There were 61,000 shifts, and the lefties saw 55% of those. So I think that's why we've seen Jock Peterson get the qualifying offer. Uh, you saw... Uh, Anthony Rizzo get two years and $40 million because teams believe that left-handed batters are maybe going to get back to where they were prior to all these shifts. Did you see in the minor leagues, with a lack of a shift, that left-handed batters were starting to find more holes and maybe you know finding more base hits? I, I didn't look, at, look for that necessarily directly, but I think uh, anecdotally it, it certainly makes sense. Uh, because there are a lot of hitters like the ones you mentioned, Matt Carpenter is probably another that mm-hmm. you know that would that would benefit from this. But again, you know, it doesn't take away that that the defense can still shade in the directions that they need to shade. Um, but uh, again, I think the base the game of baseball was intended to have two infielders on each side of the second base bag, and of course, you know, it was just something that had never been thought of before as teams started to use the shift more and more. But again, you know, what baseball is trying to do in the big picture is 
uh, create more offense and you know make the game better balanced. And I, I think this will, will definitely help that happen. No doubt about it. So, hey, Brian, explain. So pitch is coming, and if I'm a second baseman or a shortstop, where do I have to be positioned again? I, I've got to be on the dirt. But then I've got to be on my side of the of the of the second base bag, correct? That's right. But just, I mean, literally, you could be an inch on one side. Okay. You know, con- conceivably, you could have the shortstop and the second baseman almost standing next to one another up the middle if you so chose. Now, I will tell you that there was another test that was tried in High A down in Palm Beach, um, and, and that league that is not being implemented in the major leagues at this time. But it was a test where they took if you stood on the second base bag and looked toward the outfield and drew a V off to eat a line off to each side of the second base at an angle, that V area was a no man's zone where no defenders could be. So that basically created a big area up the middle where nobody could stand. And I think that was extreme. That was probably too extreme. And that's not part of what's being tested at the major league level this year. What did you see with the automatic strike zone? Was it working? Was it not working? What did you see? Well, there were two flavors of the automatic strike zone used and I saw both. Uh, they were, again, tested in the high A Florida State League, among other places. It was also tested in the Arizona Fall League. And one version is straight ABS, straight automated balls and strikes. And that means every pitch, however the machine called it, was how it is. Now, the other thing that they did was they, had, uh, they tried a variation which allowed each side, batter, pitcher, and hitter, each side at least three challenges per game. So if a ball... Uh, came across and was called, uh, and, the, and the, the, the one side or the other didn't agree with it, they could appeal it, and it could be reviewed. And they put it right up on the scoreboard for everybody to see you know, exactly where the pitch landed. And it really helped cut down our arguments. It didn't slow down the game too badly. And, of course, because the, because the um, uh, number of challenges were limited, you know, it couldn't be used excessively, but it kind of made people feel more, you know, the hitters uh, and pitchers feel more comfortable that, you know, if there was an egregious call or one that they felt was, they could do something about it. And if your challenge was upheld, then you got another challenge. So you did, you know, you could have four or five or six if the calls were continually against you. Now, you know, again, automated balls and strikes are probably still a few years away, but I think that's definitely the direction the game's going. Yeah, it is really fascinating. I, I, I just... I think it's going to be, I think, I don't know if you agree with this. I I think it's something that had to be done, but players are open to change, but they just want to be included. And they're the ones that know the best. You and I, we don't know. GMs, president of baseball operations, they don't know. They're not on the field. And so the last CBA included the joint competition committee and players' voices were heard. And uh, players want to see action as well. I think we all want to see action. And I think if as long as the players are included and have a voice and a seat at the table, then these, you know, these rules will be accepted. And I, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I think you're right, Dan. I think it's, it's, you know, getting buy-in, getting support. Exactly. And, and, and you know, there, anytime technology is involved, there's, there's concerns. And so it's going to take some time, not only to fully vet them, but also the more years that it's used, you know, I suspect it'll continue to be tried in the minor leagues. The more players that get experience with it, the more you, it's not an anecdotal discussion, but it's, Hey, here's my experience, you know, having done it myself and that, you know, that will help. But again, this is going to, this one's going to take longer um, to, to get implemented. But from what I saw, I, I thought the games went more crisp because they have a very good system. Uh, they have a special official in the dugout, you know, I mean, in the, uh, excuse me, in the press box, and they're communicating directly with the home plate umpire. And the, the system, the, the challenges move very smoothly, very quickly. And so I think overall, it's another thing that will help speed up the game 
and and certainly won't hurt the accuracy of the of the game. I don't think. Hey Brian, uh, I always go to your site daily. You've got new content every single day. I'll wrap it up with this. What are you working on right now at thecardinalnation.com? Well, I just posted an article yesterday about the Rule 5 draft, but not at the Major League level, but also at the AAA level. There's there's two levels of the Rule 5 draft where organizations can pick up players that aren't on the 40-man roster of other teams who have have been in baseball for at least five years. And so this... um, is a, an avenue where some Cardinals may get selected by other teams in the Rule 5, uh, as well as they may go out and try to add some players as well. So I looked at the guys in the system now and, and uh, sort of categorized them. Uh, the other thing that we're working on is uh, we finished the last of their own words, which is the uh, series I had from interviews from the Arizona Fall League. And now we're uh, 10 prospects into our top 50 prospect countdown for 2023. So each day, a new article up. Some are free. About every fifth one is free. And the rest are, are uh, for members of the Cardinal Nation. A great detail, uh, scouting reports on the players, videos, uh, discussion of where they've been and where they're going, what their future potential is, their tools, et cetera. So lots of uh, great detail on uh, the St. Louis Cardinals prospects every day all winter long at the Cardinal Nation. This is great stuff today, Brian. Appreciate you, and uh, we'll catch you up next Wednesday. Yeah, and uh, happy holidays to everybody listening, and we'll talk again, I guess, uh, next week. That sounds good. That's Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com.